Welcome to the Leg 3 Amazing Race Recap, straight from the UR Team Number Podcast. I'm Ben Powell, and I have much more than six groups in my collection, and joining me today is a man who, much like the races of this leg, is constantly followed everywhere he runs by wild dogs, Logan Thunders. Afternoon. As always, if you have any questions you'd like us to cover on the podcast, you can contact us via our Facebook group, the URT Number Podcast, follow us on hashtag Yattencast on Twitter, or email us at yattencast at gmail.com. Did so, we get any emails for this week? Uh... I don't know. I don't run the email account. That's Michael's job. Hmm. I yeah. The emails will be read in two weeks. Don't you worry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone has any scandalous revelations about Justin and Diana, they'd like us to announce via, only via email. Michael will tell us that in two weeks if they're still in the race. <laughs> Although, come to think of it, we have much more discussed in the. In the coming about what's coming in the coming weeks, rather than what happened on this episode. So, yeah, not much. Not much really happened, did it? No, very, very few notes to write down for this week overall. So, yeah, I guess we should just dive right into it. Yeah, this is this is very much the definition of a, of a filler episode. Yeah, it reminds me of when with the later seasons of the TV show Twenty Four, where they started in, inserting as many. Uh, action events as possible, where it'd just be, like, smaller plot lines that go on for four episodes and they move on to the next thing, and during these later seasons, they often refer to the interlude between these episodes as uh, bridge episodes, because it would be right before all the action was going to happen, and that's very much the case for this week. Hmm. When I think 24 and Philip uh, filler plotline episodes, I think that about that time that Jack's daughter was trapped by mountain lions. That was season two, yeah, with the cougar incident. I'm led to believe that it wasn't the show's finest hour? Uh, no, they probably had 23 finer hours than that uh, during that day. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so we start the episode off with a recap of... The, of Tanner and Josh's hamstring pull, and that's really all. Because apparently God has a plan for them. God has a plan for the hamstring strain. God has a plan for them to pull an important muscle in their leg on a foot race to third place with a mother and son. On the amazing race in Argentina. As, uh, what is it, Mark and Bill would say, uh, or no, no, Avi and Joe would say, uh, God certainly has a sense of humor. Yes, he does. Anyways, Justin and Diana start at insert time here because I don't think they really care this league. Start teams must travel by bus to San Antonio de Areco, then take a pickup truck to La Portina. And I know we all complained last season about how Canada's Amazing Race only went to like small provinces and towns that nobody has ever heard of, but like this place is tiny. This is like this is like the it's absolutely dwarfed by the the small towns and provinces that I complained about all, all last season. It's like, it's a town of like 16,000 people. Yeah, and you can only, apparently only get there by pickup truck. A bus and then a pickup truck. Yeah, like, I'm willing to bet that there's not even like a one several lights flashing yellow there. Like, you know, Jet and Cord type town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's one gotcho who operates a flight that's flashing yellow. <laughs> And the dogs. The dogs outnumber the people there, apparently. Anyway, we find out, we also find out when Justin and Diana check out that they have actually seen every season three times. At least three uh, times. At, le- at least three times. Uh, for, a- for A of all, God bless them for getting through season six three times. Yes. 
Freddy of all, I, was that satisfying. <laughs> and B of all, I I haven't even seen every season three times. I've seen every I've seen about like ninety five percent of every season, and I've seen the essential seasons like two or three times, but not all seasons. Like I mean, I can't get through I can't get through twenty four or six as three times. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I over the years I think I may have racked up the three times of seeing season six once because this was a. Uh, it's one of the earlier seasons, so I still would have been, I think this would have been towards the end of like the 6th or 7th grade when I started uh, recording all the episodes of Survivor and Amazing Race and them all on, all on VHS tape. So when I was younger, uh, especially at the very start of high school where I didn't really know anybody in my grade, uh, some of the weekends would just be spent re-watching some of the older seasons of Survivor and Amazing Race, and when you only have a couple seasons of each uh, series on VHS tape, well, your options are kind of limited on what to rewatch. Mm, we've all been there. I've been there. And, well, I guess there's good points. I mean, I mean, I think it's I think it's almost essential to rewatch Amazing Race 3 every year. Probably the you season know. I've personally seen the most over the years. I haven't seen it since I had logged about it four years ago, simply because of, you know, adulting is hard, That's as they say. And, yes, uh, but yeah, I would say that season is probably the most I've seen overall in my experience. Well, there's not really much to discuss about the start of this leg. Uh, well, there's, we get another, we get another continuation of the Justin versus the world rivalry thing, or mostly jo- Josh and Tanner. Justin versus Texas? The state of Texas? Justin versus, uh, Josh and Tanner, Justin versus Jet and Cord, Justin versus the flashing yellow light. <laughs> Just, he's just making enemies out of the entire Bible Belt right there. Pretty much, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. he's might be limited for travel within the United States uh, in the near future. Uh, so, yeah, not much to discuss about that. Like, the that that storyline is overpowering. And the only other thing to discuss is, like, I'm not really sure... I'm not really sh- I'm not really getting a good picture of how far behind Ernest and Jin were from behind the 8th um, place team. They did list the departure time. It was only... They said, well, Jasmine and Danielle depart at 6.53 a.m. and Ernest and Jin at 7.16 a.m. So in most cases, this would still be a really close time gap to start out a race, but I it seemed like with the intervals between when the buses left the bus station, that the first two buses left really close together, and then the third bus with Ernest and Jan seemed like it was hours and hours behind, but what I'm guessing probably happened is that the round was just so short uh in that little area that they were in, uh, San Benito, Carlos, whatever the hell it's called, and uh, the gap was just that much more exaggerated because of how quick it was to get through the tasks down there. Like, there wasn't even any indication that the second-to-last team and the last team were even in, like, waiting distance to each other, so I don't. I think they must have been pretty far behind. Like, by the time Tiffany and Crystal left and Ernest and Jenna got to the roadblock, the weather had changed completely, so... I'm, mm-hmm. It's pretty confusing of how how far they fought, fell behind, but and it sort of did make for a very uneventful round because we sort of knew that Ernest and Jin were going to leave at the end of this episode. So, yeah, nothing to get to it worked up about though. Yeah, it's definitely a, a it's definitely a flashback. I like to always refer to this type of episode as a as being in Lorena and Jason mode, where you just see them in the one taxi for like three quarters of the episode, and they try to make you think they're going to catch up, but you know with how quick the round is going to be that there's just no way in hell that that's going to happen. And I think this is just one of those rounds where they, where the others try to make something out of nothing as hard as they possibly could, but there's only so much you can do as an editor. And, it's, and with the cast that's providing not 
as little as content as this one is, it's kind of hard to put together an episode, really. And what's surprising, what's surprising me the most out of everything so far is just how much they're trying to bank on building up this whole rivalry between uh, Jess and Diana and Tanner and Josh. It's as if none of the t- other teams really exist except for their own very minor storylines. But mm. it's like they're supposed to be the supporting cast. That's almost like a sideshow to really this being a two-team season so far. I'm hoping that this isn't the case for all 12 rounds because... After this next round with the whole double U-turn, that things would have to switch story-wise, otherwise it's going to get stale very quickly from an editing perspective. From an edit- from an editing analysis perspective, I'm thinking that um, the storyline actually burns out pretty quickly. Like they both go out eighth and seventh or something. Uh, this is from like from someone who's completely unspoiled. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that the the morsels of stuff we're getting for other teams now are going to be significant later on, mm-hmm. but. That's a bit worrying because the only like we've only really got meaningful content from like two, three teams. So t- other than other than the Texan guys and Justin and Diana. So yeah, mm-hmm. like like the only other teams I've really noticed that have gotten significant content are Denise and James Earl and uh, Tiffany and Krista. So mm-hmm. I would agree. Like, everyone with that. everyone else is just everyone else is just sort of wallpaper right now. So. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I was reading about that online where that, that comment seems to be echoed online where they'll say, well, they haven't. A, they, they think that Justin and Diane is annoying. They may not be too fond of Team Texas, and then they don't have an opinion on anybody else. Except, except for Ernest and Jin so far. <laughs> and the hats. Yeah, and then there's the obligatory comment about how Tiffany and Crystal, Crystal are awful just because they're women who, who look pretty or whatever. But, you know, we ignore that. We ignore that on the Yatton cast. Yes, and they are athletes. Uh, believe it or not, women can be athletes on The Amazing Race. Shock. Shock. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, so, there wasn't really even that many tasks to talk about this round. There was just the two tasks and lots of running around with dogs. So, uh, first yeah, task like had- after the whole bus and pickup truck thing is the, the roadblock. The roadblock, yeah, the meat. Yeah. Who is smoking hot? Ha! So basically, they just have to hang two racks of lamb and two racks of beef on a set of metal crosses to prepare cooking asado, apparently. And once both meats are, ha- are hanged in all sides, they need to be skewered properly with the, with the bones until given into the head cook standards. He'd give them the next clue. Basically, they need to crucify the meat. Yeah. As a vegetarian... Hard to watch. Uh, I would not be too fond of doing this task. <laughs> Uh, I'm not. I'm not a fan. Of meat. I'm not a fan of like preparing meat in general. So neither really, and especially since it's going to be like you know, it's one of those finickety, um, organize something in a particular way, paying a super attention to detail sort of tasks. So, uh, it's not really that. It's probably about as probably it's probably about as fun to do as it is to watch, really. So yeah, I imagine that meat must have smelled horrible. The only two things I really noticed were a. Whenever any other team was talking, you could hear like Justin laughing in the background, like. <laughs> gaucho, like, amigo, I'm not gaucho, amigo, stupid old americano. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was that th- the whole thing with uh, Denise ac- um, somehow accidentally helping James Earl during the roadblock with the uh, whole directing him from the sidelines thing. That's such a mom thing to do. Just disregard yeah. for the rules, and you just blurt out what the answer should be, and you completely forget that this is a rigid game show with very black and white rules. You can't just help your son uh, 
you know, it's not, it's like help trying to help your son with the homework. It's uh, you can get away with it there, but uh, you can't get away with it on a national game show. Has there actually been any other inst- notable instance of uh, the team member uh, verbally helping their partner during the roadblock? I couldn't think of a single example in any of the English-speaking versions. Could you? Um, I thought of a near example. Uh, back in All Stars, when uh, Robin, Amber, and Charlotte and Myrna were doing the letter sorting roadblock, mm-hmm. and uh, Myrna was telling uh, or Charlotte, which whoever, whoever wasn't sorting letters was like um, telling their partner that there was a bag they hadn't done, and then Rob was like, "You can't talk to her." So I thought of that. But technically, Char- technically Charlotte wasn't uh, helping Mona, so it really was moved the end. But I thought of that sort of. Although, can you imagine if, if like how anticlimactic that would have been if uh, Mona just like after level five on the treadmill and running up the hill and that all that? Um, Charlotte and Mona, you are the, you are the seventh ten to arrive, but you have a thirty minute penalty. So we're here. Oh. The audience, the casual audience, and everybody in general would just go ballistic over that. It would be such a polarizing reaction, oh, yeah. especially when you have Boston Robin Amber. Uh, well, I mean, this was a couple of years after their run on Amazing Race Seven, so they'd sort of faded a bit from reality TV at this point for two years, <laughs> and, uh, and that's I think they were still in it enough that. Fans would have just called the race rigged if Rob and Amber were able to stay in the race because of that. They're lucky that wasn't a predetermined non-elimination leg, so because mm-hmm. then people would be doubting the authenticity of that of the predeterminedness of those non-elimination legs. And there's still people that still think that they're post-determined non-elimination legs. And well, in Canada, we saw people claiming that with Brent and Sean, and I'm sure we're going to see that claimed a couple of times this season. Game show laws aren't real, only feels, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the root info is to deliver a rack of roasted lamb to Plaza Principal, which is where the rest of the leg will be set. Hmm. Speaking and, of the, with the roadblock there, just to go back to it for a second, Yeah, yeah. it was really tough to watch it as a viewer because all you, you, it wasn't audience-friendly in terms of being able to follow along with what was exactly going on. So it's like, oh, they put the meat together. This is this is what they did wrong. Okay, we'll just we'll just accept that and watch them do another attempt and rinse and repeat. So it wasn't watching people assemble meat in a specific way that the audience couldn't really keep track of. Like they couldn't like with watching it, they couldn't think, oh yeah, they're doing this part wrong. It was it was just they're just waiting for them to ask the judge and the audience said, oh, I guess they got it wrong. Uh, yeah. I don't know why, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that's my thought exactly. Like, I couldn't tell what they're doing wrong. So, so yeah, really, really. Yeah, there's not much else to talk about with this task. Yeah. I love how Michael gets to go on vacation. You get to fill in for the for pretty much the most boring week possible, possibly in oh, maybe since the premiere of last season for the Amazing Race. Yeah. <laughs> Unlucky me. So the only thing I know they can think of is that the fact that they're like riding in the back of a truck to get to two route markers just sort of remind me of uh, season seven back in uh, Peru with the whole um, after you finish the detour, go down to this post office and take a um, take a truck to the next city or whatever. That sort of thing. That's what it reminded yeah. me of. So that that was good, but everything else, everything else, I'm like was like I. Don't even if I didn't write this to, if I didn't write it down for this podcast, I'd probably have, like forgotten already. I think with with the Roblox too, it was a big letdown for people because Michael was speculating on it last week, but he thought it was he heard a rumor that he thought that this was going to be a switch back to the Mendoza meat eating Roblox from uh, season seven as well. 
where he, where people were thinking that the roadblock was going to be to eat all that meat. Instead, it's just to assemble it on a stake. So pretty big letdown for those viewers who were assuming that, that what, that's what the task was going to be. That would have been fun. It would have, because it would have fi- I would have finally received validation that I was right after all these years that Rob didn't convince anybody to uh, drop out of that roadblock. It's because Meredith was a 70-year-old guy who couldn't handle eating all that meat, and Dina was one of the smallest racers doing that roadblock, so... Mm. Rob didn't convince anybody to drop out of it, and it would have been nice to have it uh, have that task play out again this season, just to prove that it's like no people can't eat that much meat. Only only a few people can do that, and if they do, uh, they don't feel too good by the end of the life. Or if you're at each channel, you can just like devour the entire thing, just like open up and uh, you know swallow it like a duck or something. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you're Patrick, then you just quit and then you resume doing the task and then you quit again and then you see that Debbie and Bianca have caught up to you after six hours and then finally you uh, complete the task. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about more interesting seasons. Let's go back to this one. Alright, the, det- the detour was horse or carriage. For horse, they had to pick a polo mallet, walk less than a mile to Beliche de Bessonart, change into their polo gear, travel across to a riverside, pick a fake horse, and equip it properly and then push it back to the plaza to receive the next clue. That is a tongue twister. I looked up a lot of these locations of Google Maps and they're all very relatively close by, like less than a mile. It's like, I, even though it's technically across town, it's still it's still a pretty close location. Like, yep, the Courage one was a long walk, obviously because it actually evolved, if it actually resulted in some placement changes, but still. Speaking of, Courage, you had to um, pick a buggy whip from the plaza, travel by foot almost a mile to La, uh, La Chiquina Chiquina Estanquia. I'm butchering this. Los, Los Donkey, isn't that, is that the Argentine version of the Stankonia album by Outkast? Yes. You don't know your, your early 2000s, 2000s hip-hop, do you, Ben? No, I don't listen. I'm, that's not my genre. I'm more of a indie indie Australian art house guy. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, they have to change into gaucho clothing. Gauchos are, and gauchos are like the Argentinian cowboys. They always happen and always will be, according to the amazing race. Uh, then they have to clean a carriage with a gigantic, gigantic dusters, uh, push it a long distance to a team of waiting horses, and once they harness to the buggy, they take it back to the plaza as well. And... Nothing really interesting occurred in here either. Like, we got more shots of people being annoyed by Justin. We got a few people who who forgot to pick up things up and they had to go back and get them. There was a few dangling chain straps. At least we had Justin dancing with that one random woman and almost got sidetracked by the whole task. Or Ernest and Jin uh, bringing up doo-doo once again with uh, dusting the carriage. <laughs> it's like their favorite point of discussion. It's either, it's either hitting on women uh, that they see along the race course, or they're talking about doo-doo. Very caveman-esque uh, uh, train of thought. <laughs> Bill's pun game is much weaker than Alan Wu's. Like, the pun of saying, oh, uh, teams get to meet the gauchos for the roadblock, and, I mean, that pun was just way too easy for him. At least Alan Wu will reach a bit more and be a bit more clever about it. But with Bill here, I mean, it was a meet roadblock, and just saying, oh, the teams are going to meet the gauchos, I think, I think Bill could have done a bit better than that. Sink their teeth into the gauchos. Yeah, and then just, of course, other teams want to make jokes about, uh, you know, Josh uh, wiping the meat with his face and, uh, you know, and then the gauchos uh, not approving of Joey's meat and everything like that. Like, they could have they could have uh, 
for a boring episode, they could have made it so much more inappropriate, but uh, they failed to do so. Um, I'm not sure if it's the fault of the editors. I think it's more the fault of the cast, really, because out of the teams that out of the teams so far, it's it, all of them very all of them do seem like really level-headed people, or just like mm-hmm. if they do have conflict, it's rather like boring conflict. Like mm-hmm. I can tell you that Logan and Chris had a little fight last episode, but I have no idea what it was about. So and mm-hmm. I can and I can tell you that um, uh, Cindy and Rick have tension in their relationship, but I can't remember for the life of me what it was about. So like the only two interest like if you take out the rivalry, like I said, the only two the only two teams that have really clicked for me are the cheerleaders and uh, the mother and son team, which is not good considering that still meant that you've still got half a cast missing content. Mm-hmm. You know what would make it more interesting though is if they aired more clips of Diana trying to pronounce the names of the Spanish route markers because at the start of the round she really butchered the name of the first uh, route marker. Her pronunciation was, wasn't even close to what Phil said on screen. Yeah, that was that was a bit tragic. What about the pinky promise? Do we have to discuss that as well between Denise and James Earl? Um... Do we? Because I can't really remember what, what that was about. Like I watched, I watched the episode twice, and I can't remember. So the pinky promise was essentially to not fight anymore after she, because at, at the start of the episode, Denise was all frustrated with uh, with Sith, thinking that James Earl was shouting shouting at her, or uh, how uh, how James Earl thought that she was being too overbearing, and how he didn't want to keep talking to the taxi driver, saying too many place names, because he thought the taxi driver would just get lost and not drop him off at the wrong location. I haven't really heard that as a reason to not uh, speak to a taxi driver before is because you don't want to add in the seven or eight word uh, names for places and be afraid that you're going to confuse the guy. And the whole pinky promise on the pickup truck was not to fight anymore and they didn't fight, but uh, She sort of sabotaged him? Denise did help him. Yes, that was sabotage instead of fight. If she can't have it one way, then she's going to have it the other Mm. way. And I love how Denise always refers to him as James Earl in the little little southern uh, accent there. Accent there, like everyone else would probably just call him James or come up with some sort of nickname for him. But you know, it's you know, it's his uh, mother when she's like, "Dang it, James Earl, <laughs> why are you doing?" It's it's a very hard name to like um, shorten. I mean, besides the obvious James, like there's not really what much you can do with James. Yeah, or call him J E or. Uh, uh, that that doesn't it doesn't really roll off the tongue that well like JT JT does or um, MJ or AJ TJ that, that those things sort of do but like like JE is that's it's too too many mouth movements <laughs> sounds like a Boston accent trying to say that <laughs> JE anyway so not really much more happened like the only the only thing we have left to discuss is the pit stop and how half the t- half the teams went over a wrong bridge or something. They have to travel by foot to the um, Parque Criollo um, I Museo Gauchesco Ricardo um, Guaraldes. And I probably pronounced a few of those words wrong. I mean, that, thankfully on the show they, only, they shortened it to Museo um, Gauchesco. <laughs> Which sounds like the most stereotypical name for a place in the region there. The Museo Gachos. But since I like to live dangerously, I, w- I Wikipedia and got the entire name. And, uh, well, you know, like the rest of the leg, it was done on foot. So basically it was, um, I figured it out. There's actually, um, it was on the other side of town, but to, it was about, it was around a two kilometer run, two kilometer run or so, which would take about, um. Not too long. <laughs> yeah, that's about all it would take. 
about 20 minutes, but there's and but to get to the other side of town, which is across a river, there was two bridges, and what the one that the one that was close to the actual place had construction going on. The bridge is out. <laughs> yes. So I'm guessing that like um if the pla- the placement changes happened when a few of the teams went to the went to the one bridge, uh, saw the construction had to go to the other bridge, and then uh, that really is all there is to talk about apart from the pen- the penalty and the fact that like that was the most relaxed foot race I've seen to a to a pit stop ever. Is okay. like Tanner and Josh and Justin Zeno were like um oh no there's the other team oh no let's having a foot race and then they just sort of like pull out. Um, slightly jog. Pull out the other hamstring. <laughs> and then uh, pull the other hamstring and then sort of like pull out, pull out the slow, slowly jog to the pit stop. Although I'm guessing they've been running all day so I don't think they have enough energy to, you know. Yeah, you you, you go get that. You can you can have that flight to Cambodia. I don't really I don't really feel like running. Although just imagine that being said of a really strong um, Philly accent. So which yeah. I can't do because my 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 impression is limited to Bethany Hamilton and the occasion and the one line from uh, Brook from Brook and Robbie. Well, yeah, I mean this leg really didn't matter at all in the grand scheme of things. But it would have it would have been hilarious if either a Chandler pulled the other hamstring trying to beat Justin Diane to the mat or Josh pulled a hamstring and neither of those happened and because. Bill knows there's not going to be a whole lot to talk about in terms of Matt Chat all day. Um, he took it upon himself to mention a U-turn is coming up, which there's never been a Phil announced de- or a U-turn the round before it's going to happen. Yeah. And then even stranger is that a team just openly states that they're going to U-turn the other team, which that's a bit of a weird strategy to take, but that's yeah. So it's, like they don't, it's like there's no other team in the whole season right now in the eyes of Justin, Diana, or Tanner, and Josh. It's really just them going to be head-to-head, and it's. I would even go on so far to say that neither of them think that any other team is even remotely in contention to win the season right now, and they're probably absolutely convinced that if their rivals get knocked out, then they're, gonna, they're bound to be the winner's circle. Which is a strange thing to think about when it's only round three. Well, in the last two, in the last two rounds, they've been, it's been a sort of BJ Tyler and Eric Jeremy situation that they've both been swapping first or second place. So, I get in this sort of thing in the race when like, well, in this sort of, in this stage in the race, I guess, you know, they're... I'm not justified in thinking, but, you know, I can understand they're thinking that they've got no competition. Justified? Um, you know what? No, not really, because, like, you know, that hasn't been that difficult of a leg so far. It's been, like, just a bit of running, and eventually there's going to be a mental task, mm-hmm. and you can't run within that. Like, last week was just... Uh, last week was collect trash and dance. This leg was run everywhere. Do you think they made teams run just so the round would be longer than, you know, an hour long? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, and although I think they made them run because I don't, that doesn't look like a town that has a cab service. No, but the thing is, is that cause the round started at around 6 a.m. and then Ernest and Jen were last at around 7 a.m. point, uh, leaving the pit stop, and it was still, and this is right in the middle of winter there, so daylight's going to be really short for this round. Like, I think this was filmed, what, this would have been right in the middle of uh, South America's winter, so daylight would have been really small time gap, and we didn't even see any darkness at all during the day, so Mm -hmm. if you include the bus ride and the ride with the pickup truck, then this round had to be insanely quick. Yeah, I can't. I can't really see. I can't really see that round being more than two, three hours. And that's making them run everywhere. Yeah, from the from the from getting off the bus to the pit stop was probably about like around two, three hours from Jenner and Tosh 
uh, checking in to Tiffany and Krista checking in. So, and then, like, t- even taking into Ernest and, Ernest and Jin's thing, like, that was probably only a few hours after that as well. So the whole, the whole, the whole filming of the round could have been over in, like, um, five, six hours. Exactly. And, the, I mean, you know when you have a weak round on your hands when the biggest twist is that the horses they had to decorate and equip were fake. That was yeah. the big shocker of the round. Yeah. Like, it, it led to one amusing moment when J- uh, James Earl and Denise to her, like, a fight over trying to get it over, get the... F- horse up onto a curb. (laughs) We can lift it. No, we can't. What about our pinky promise? James Earl! (laughs) And then they they almost fell over and that was the only mildly amusing thing that really happened that round. The fake horse has been injured, James Earl. It's all your fault. (laughs) Can we put lipstick on it? It's fake. (laughs) So, do you uh, you think my my theory about about how um, Josh and Diana and uh, Josh and Tanner's play is going to like um, come to a head next episode, and then they're both going to be gone in the next two rounds. I don't. I don't really see. I don't really see that happening. I I see it happening because I plots like rivalry plots in the Amazing Race don't really get to a head this quickly. I mean, sure, if they've got the footage, they'll air it, and obviously there's nothing else happening this round. But they'll that's the only thing they air. But it just does. It just seems like. Because of the way that the U-turn was announced, Phil announced the U-turn, and Josh and, Tan- Josh and Tanner's plan is going to be, like, get to the detour, use the express pass, U-turn Justin and Diana, eliminate them. And then, if the t- hamstring really is that bad, or if they pull the other hamstring, or pull two hamstrings or whatever, then I don't really see them that long for the race, you know, as it is. So, that's just my theory. I, I, I'm not based off anything apart from the fact that a Justin Diana and Josh and Tanner are the only two screen, only two teams getting any like meaningful story-related screen time out of these f- past three episodes, and I think most are just w- wishful thinking because as hilarious as I find the Green Team and the t- Team Texas rivalry, it's very overwhelming and constricting. Mm-hmm. And I think if it were just removed from the season entirely, there'd be more room for the other teams to you know float around and do their thing, mm-hmm. like. Like I said, like I said at the start, the only two, the only two other teams I can think of that got meaningful content were the were the cheerle- were the cheerleaders talking about how people underestimate them and Denise and James Earl doing their whole mother son routine, and that's really not much. I'm, I don't hate anyone left. It's just that I'm bored by a lot of them. Even the teams, even the teams I feel I should like, like I feel I should be liking the track stars, but we haven't seen anything from the track stars other than the oh I'll buy you a pair of new feet uh, if. Uh... <laughs> if we when we win the million dollars, yeah, that's the only clip from them, and then ju- them just being super bummed about possibly going home. That's really the only two moments we've seen from them. Or uh, teams keep talking up about how Chack Attack. Uh, I hate that nickname. I hate uh, it. that Chack Attack could uh, could uh, be major forces, but yeah, we've seen nothing from them other than the pit stop greeter from last round making fun of their them being newlyweds, and then uh, and then send the Expression on Cindy's face when she uh, when uh, when her face just absolutely dropped when uh, she realized that she had to run back to get all the equipment. It didn't matter whatsoever in the end, but just seeing her face drop like that is probably the biggest moments they've had from all three episodes so far. Yeah, pretty much. Like the only they had like a minor minor subplot with uh, Denise and James Earl and how Denise and James Earl beat them at a mental task or something, mm-hmm. and that's really all she wrote. I like how there's that one dog that was limping like Tanner was, just to... I think the dog was just trying to troll Tanner, in my opinion. <laughs> and I 
think the most compelling character overall this round was the napping dog towards the end of the round. It got more Pretty air much. time than Jasmine and Danielle did. So, uh, Ernest and Jim, the ninth places of the Amazing Race 27, what do we think of them? I think producers were very disappointed that they were early exits from the race. I think, especially preseason, with Phil talking them up as much as he did, you get the impression that production really liked these guys. They know that they can be entertaining on television, and their whole energy and multiple ways that you can edit them in terms of story. And what they end up getting is them being eliminated, not only just not only in the third round, which is really early in the season, especially in an era of the Amazing Race where you have four non-elimination legs now each time, but also the fact that they had to be ousted in the most boring way imaginable in years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well what amazed me just by how boring this round was is that I watched this episode just a few hours ago at around, I don't know, around 11 a.m. today. And I, I just found myself just really tired by the end of watching it. And I'm thinking that the episode just had nothing to really draw you in the whole time. That's really it. Like, anything, the only thing we can really discuss is, you know, next week is A, the W turn, and B, Af- African women decide to spit in the racist faces. We may see things turn around for next week by that description alone. Even with this week, with the episode title being Where's My Dogs At? And then Justin and Tiffany both, you know, both messaging me on Twitter saying, oh, it's, you know, it's a quote after DMX song, song because I know it's also a lyric use in a little Bow Wow song. And I'm waiting all the episode for somebody to do their DMX impression saying, Where my dog's at? And it's just Ernest and Jin just saying it in passing without any DMXness, uh, Whatsoever, they don't even say what or uh, or anything like that. I was just so disappointed. Yeah. Once again, I'm a um, I'm a I'm a um, hip, I'm a white hippie Australian hippie from this from the semi suburbs. So I don't hip hop isn't my forte. So I didn't understand a word of that. You don't. Yeah. You have to Google DMX uh, singing Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer or DMX doing the Reading Rainbow theme because. Those are two beloved uh, remixes on YouTube. I know Run DMC, but that's only because that's only because um, they did a uh, I think they did a collaboration with Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> that, that's where my music taste extends to. I see. Yeah, Run DMC yeah. is quite a bit different from uh, DMX. All right. So basically, my my thoughts for the future the future of the season are: I hope Justin and Justin and Diane. I like I like Justin and Diana. I think that the fact that everyone finds the most annoying people alive is somewhat hilarious. But it's just the fact that the editors have made their storyline so central that it's sort of choking the life out of out of the season, and the and the really bad route doesn't help. So for for the good of the season, and I guess for the crushing of Justin's dreams, we like you, Justin. More entertaining than uh, Tanner and Josh. Tanner and Josh, it's it's amazing how much fun they can suck out of the room within. I like I I don't mind them. I like them as I like the rivalry. Like I like how um I like I like it when they went they went past the limp dog and I was like oh he's hurt too. That was 
sort of funny. It's I, I don't think they're actively boring, but like um, it's just the rivalry is just getting to the point where I don't, I kind of want them both to go, like, or at least one to go, just for the rivalry to end. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. And we and well, I can't unless Justin and Diana really do kick ass on the next leg. I, I can't really see the rivalry lasting past next leg. So yeah. yeah. Or uh, uh, Tiffany and Krista could also develop a rivalry with Indiana Jones, considering uh, they forgot the whip, and I hear Indiana Jones was really offended by that. Who, who forgets the whip? <laughs> a boulder, like, rolling down the streets of San Antonio de Arco would have been more made it the episode more interesting, I guess. Yes. And then I think the real reason why Ernest and Jin were eliminated is because Jin couldn't stop staring himself at the mirror when he was putting on the polo outfit. He just kept, he just kept, and kept looking at his own uh, reflection. Jin narcissism. Yeah, so... I really right. I hope they both. I yeah. Like I like them both. I think they're both very entertaining, and I wish. I guess I wish the best for them in life or something. But like um, you know, it's a strangling the the rivalry is strangling the season, and I think it's best if they both leave. So the other teams have more time to you know breathe and stuff. Like I'll probably be eating my words if they do leave, and the, and the season is even more boring. After which I will apologize profusely. As long as Tiffany and Krista keep delivering in terms of especially like saying, oh, we've, we've got everything, and they forget something at the same time. Or when Tiffany completes a task, she jumps up and down like Chun-Li from Street Fighter. If she can keep that up, that would be great. Um, and, yeah, I don't know I don't know what to expect yeah, from the other teams. Like, like is, are Logan and Chris just going to be, like, a minor league version of a bickering dating couple? And are Cindy and Rick ever going to have anything worthwhile to say or be funky mm-hmm. at all? Um, there was, There is a team named Joey and Kelsey that was in this episode, but... I don't yeah, believe you. Yeah, there, there was a team. They, they, uh, they did well. They weren't kidnapped in a truck like last week, but they did their thing. They didn't do any uh, morning news reports, which was kind of disappointing. But All right, I think we're done for the week. Thank you, listeners, so much for listening this week, and we'll hopefully get back to some more interesting content next week. We will see you next time. Would you like to sign off, off Logan? Uh, hashtag Yencast, uh, hashtag Ginger Ninja, hashtag 250. Peace. What? Hashtag 1.61. Thank <laughs> you.